The Magic Book Club podcast. Hello, how are you doing? Welcome along. My name's Tom Price. This is episode three of the Magic Book Club podcast. We have been lucky enough to spend some time with the fabulous Hollywood actor Sally Field. She's written uh, an at times heartbreaking and difficult book, but it is a very, very, very good read and I recommend it heartily. Uh, let's catch up then with the brilliant Sally Field. You've now written the most gorgeous, gorgeous book and congratulations. Oh my gosh, thank you. It's so wonderful. Thank um, you. How was that moment when you finished it, when you sat down and went, the end? Were you like... Wow, what have I done? No, oh gosh, no. I'm I'm still not doing that. I, um, the, the whole metamorphosis of of this, how this even began and how it ended, is is really Alice down the rabbit hole. Um, I I began writing it seven years ago, but totally for myself. Mm. I had to find something that was missing that I and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the story was. I didn't know where I was going. But he really wrote it for myself to find something te- terribly disquieting in me that I that I couldn't find. And um, it's, so it was right around the time that my mother had passed away when when I on my sixty fifth birthday, mm. and I knew it had to do with her, but I didn't know what. And uh, so I began this long journey. And to to begin it, uh, uh, b- before I even knew I was s- stepping onto the path, a friend of mine had asked me to write the keynote address at um, this wonderful place called the Omega Institute in upstate New York. Right. And every year they would have these wonderful conferences, um, mini conferences, that's what they do, but they would have these special conferences called Women in Power, where they would invite the most extraordinary women from all over the planet. Uh, one year they had all of the Nobel Prize winning women who yeah. came and spoke about their lives and how they got there and what was important and blah, blah, blah. And so this year she called and said, was I coming? This was right after my mother passed away. And I said, absolutely, I can't wait to sit there and hear what these what these spectacular women have to say. And she said, well, good, because I want you to give the keynote address. And I said, what? I can't give the <laughs> Hello, keynote what? address. I can't possibly, I can't do that. You have no right to ask me to do that. I can't do that. I have nothing to say. And she said, yes, you do. Mm. And it was the beginning. Yes, I do. I do have something to say. So I wrote a very long speech, an hour-long speech. It was essentially the last chapter of the book. It was raw and personal and private, and I stood up there shaking like a leaf. And that night, what I felt from these 1,500 faceless but very familiar people, this audience that I have known all my life and yet not known, but I felt from them to me and from me to them, it... It was what clicked, and I knew I had to find this, and I had to write it uh, for myself, uh, this story, and um, that was the beginning of it. Um, And the end of it wasn't until, um, uh, literally it was a year ago in September, a year Mm. ago September, um, that I had reached out to a literary agent because I didn't want to be working with any of the Hollywood agents who had ever wanted to wanted me to write a memoir and knew just who to write it for me. You know, that's what they would say. Yeah, yeah. And I would go, no, 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 thanks. So I, I looked up some of the writers that I most admire right right after I had done this Omega speech because I didn't, how can I, I'd never written an essay. I never went to school. How do I do this? And I thought, mm, Elizabeth Stroud, I love her, and Jane Smiley. And, and I think Frank McCord's Angela's Ashes is arguably one of the great memoirs ever written. So... 
I thought, oh, who, who represents these people? And I looked it up, and it was Molly Friedrich, all, all, represented them all. Yeah. So I wrote to her on her website, you know, hello, Miss Friedrich, my name is Sally Thiel. I've been an actor from Missouri. And now, how long did it take her to get back to you? She wrote back and within a few days and yeah. said, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I, I know who you are. I, 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 that's, I feel very flattered, but I don't think we're a match. So I said, okay. And then she said, but I'd love to read your speech. Read your speech. So I sent her my speech, and then she wrote back and said, um, when next you're in New York, might we meet? And so I, I ran over to her um, her office in Midtown, New York, and she spoke to me for a minute, and she said this. She said, look, I don't... I hear you talking here, and I read your speech, and there's a tiny, tiny bit of a voice, not much, not mm. much, Um but I don't, I don't feel like you know what story it is you're writing. And I said, you're right. I don't know what it is. I have to uncover it. She said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home, write 50, 80 pages and show me that. And if I respond to that, I'll represent that and not you. And that clicked with me because that meant she might feel the work was worth her time and expertise. And she wouldn't be looking to sell some preconceived idea of a celebrity. So I went home and 50 pages turned into 80 pages, turned into a year, turned into two years, turned into 200 pages, turned into 250, and 300 <laughs> pages in three years and four years. And Molly would, I wouldn't talk to her very often. She would, she would um, touch base. She says seasonally, you know, it's mm. fall, Sally. <laughs> Are you still there? This is the third fall. <laughs> Isn't it? It was the fourth. You. And we're talking seventh fall here. <laughs> and I, I, I would tell her this, it's, I will finish this. This has been my, this has become my whole life, but yeah. I don't know that I'll have the guts to publish it. Was the reason it took so long? Because there's some hard stuff in there, you know, talking about your early life. Was that, did you need a, a psychological run-up to begin writing about that stuff? Oddly enough, no. I, once, I, once I found a process and I began it um, really relating to the, to the process I do understand. I understand a creative process because, I, because I've, I've studied the, the craft of acting all of my life. And I used a lot of my understanding of that craft in this, um, in the discipline of it and the breaking down of characters and the, and the understanding of story. And um, so the, the daunting thing only to me was day one, page one. Mm. Molly, go home. Said, Molly saying, go home, start page one. Huh? What, I mean, what? And so I just did. And once I, once I did... Once I set up a kind of process for myself of how I would do it and how I would allow it, it wasn't just do it. I didn't steer it. In some ways, I just allowed it. Um, it it was an obsession. I couldn't. I, I had I had I had notes and, and pages in my shoes in my pockets. So were things my, occurring to you all the time? Are you remembering time. nuggets and suddenly writing them down all the time, or or seeing sentences that I wanted to structure dif- differently. All throughout it, it wasn't just about telling the story. To me, it was also about learning a craft. Yeah. So I had books opened and I was like, I would be stuck. And how do you say that? I don't like commas. How can I? And I would look at, I, I had a, you know, Updike opened, you know, I had a book of short stories of his. How does he write like that? How does he say so much so simply? And I I had a stack of, 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 of works that I, when, when I would 
uh, pace back and forth in, in, in either my New York apartment or my house in Pacific Palisades, I would then pick up, you know, something by one of the great writers, um, by um, Elizabeth Stroud sometimes, except I'd have to put her down because I was afraid I would try to imitate her. <laughs> yes, there's always that worry, isn't there, with writers? Yes. They don't like to read other things. Well, I mar- you know, Mary Carr, for instance, I had to put down early because her voice is so loud. It's mm. so profoundly uh, hers that I thought I would start to sound like a little girl from West Texas. And, but, but people like John Updike and and um other there were a couple of other writers that were so distanced from me yeah. um that i could see i mean even hemingway i would i had some of his books open that i could look at how he structured the syntax yeah. and it, i wouldn't had i didn't run the risk that i would be imitating him and they're emotionless that's the thing about people like updike and hemingway they they they, they feel distant from what they're writing about they do. They feel like they're never sentimental. Mm. They feel distance from what they're writing about. They're never really writing about um, um, necessarily emotion, but they always leave you with an impact. Oh yeah. And and yeah. and trying to study how does that happen? They're never asking you to feel that. They're never asking you to feel um, bereft at the end of for whom the bell tolls. Mm. It doesn't really do that, and yet it builds and builds until you're like wrecked. But your description of Jocko and the things that happened, and then he just le- he just sort of disappears. That's it. Well, th- th- he's gone, and it's that that is a massive impact. And there's no moment where you write about your emotional, you know, the impact of him on you. None of that. You don't need to do that because we understand no. it. We know it's just it's happening. No, well, I tried. It's it's that in a lot of my task was in what I understand about playing a character. I know that when you play a character, you you can never uh, play the impact. Mm. You can never be asking the audience for anything. You can never be looking for a result. You, your task as an actor is to learn everything you ha- you can possibly learn about a character, their history, what's on the page, what's not on the page, whatever what all the other characters are saying about that character because it gives you information. And then you simply be that character. You don't ask the audience for anything. Yeah. Um, whatever the emotional result is or whether it's laughter or tears or, or anything, you didn't ask for it. You just simply, there it is. Yeah. And you you draw your own conclusions. Show don't tell. Show don't yeah. tell. And and then obviously your career develops on, and you know there's great stories about all the things that you've you've done in your career, but always underpinned by your how they impacted on you. And I know that sounds like a factual thing to say, but you're not just raconteuring. You're not just telling these wonderful stories. There's a sense of you know you open up about your anxiety, for example, about about problems where you end up on set, you know, cradling your head in your hands, and you have to be taken off that day. And that honesty is. Uh, it makes for the uh, just this compelling character, which is obviously you, <laughs> but it becomes a character in the book, and mm-hmm. it, it almost reads like fiction. Mm-hmm. It almost reads like a fictional novel. It's almost like a novel. Well, good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's I what I wanted it to yeah. be. But um, let me just correct you on this, and 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 it's certainly uh, everything is up for anybody's inter- interpretation, and it's curious to see uh, since. No one read it for so long, and now people are reading it. it I find, you know, I'm, part of me is still reacting to the fact that you've even read it. Mm. Um, but you were um, that there's an episode that you were talking about uh, during the at the end of the first year of the Flying Nun, yeah. when I simply 
fold up um, and put my head in my hands and start to whisper, please let me go home, please let me go home. Um, and you interpreted it as my anxiety, or that's the, what flew out of your out of the off of the top. Because of your I'm head. projecting my own anxiety. I, 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 like, I don't know. We've all had those moments uh, yeah, in life where we feel. But I, I, and I, that's what I mean. It's curious, you know. People interpret it through their own eyes, and that's what that's what words are. You yeah. know, that's what stories on the page are. But um, and I said to myself, when you said that, was it anxiety I was feeling? And I don't think it was anxiety. I was feeling, even though I'm not really clear clear to this day what I was feeling, except um, desperate, mm. um, some something desperate in me that couldn't go any further. And I then you went to the Actors Center. I went. The, I, that moment was such a t- turning point when I thought I was going to feel so defeated uh, because I something in me like a like a house of cards just collapsed on the floor of the mo- in front of the Mother Superior's office and all the other little nuns around, and we were doing the same little chirpy dialogue we'd been saying, yada 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 and to see me just literally go down like the Wicked Witch of the West had water poured on her, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just my dress billowed out and the whole thing. Uh, and I was aff- I didn't want to see what anyone was seeing I did- because I they would be dismayed, and I didn't want to... I, 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 I was embarrassed, and um, but... I couldn't go on. I couldn't go on. I why I, not? What was it that made you have to that, that made that moment happen? I I think um, I was running on. I was on empty. I had no hope. I was. I had been so deeply depressed by about by the things that were un, unhinging in me, un, un, bubbling up in me, um, and my profound loneliness and kind of. Per, propelling myself through every day, chirping away at, at, at drivel and ha- having lost the connection with myself that I had in when I was acting because I wasn't acting. There was no real connection with any human beings in, in the show. It was just kind of a comic book, so it was all superficially kind of character stuff, but it wasn't. There was yeah. nothing. And I felt, um, I felt hollowed out. So the actual, you know, folding up was like I had nothing inside. I it just folded up because I was hollowed out. Mm. And I just started whispering, let me go home, please let me go home. And an, a hand reached under my arm, not to pull my hands away, um, not to coo or whisper, what can we get you some water or something. She just you know, started to help me up. And then she said in a not loud, but commanding voice, get her a car. She's through for the day. And I couldn't p- take my hands away from my face because I was humiliated. And I didn't want to see how everybody was looking at me. And she led me out through the stage doors. And in the big stage door, you can, it, when it would open, you could hear it honk. So you'd Honk. It was like a you know an ocean liner, yeah. and yeah. it was it was very you know all of the senses were going except I I wasn't allowing myself to see anything, and then she dug my head and I got into a car and I was driven home and I never looked at the driver and I don't know what car it was and the next day I showed up at work just kind of bopping around as if gosh don't know what I ate must mm-hmm. have really got to me though I'm okay now you know not really saying anything not really having the courage to explain myself because I. I couldn't. I I didn't know what it was, and Madeline pulled. It was Madeline Sherwood, um, who was the mother superior. Who at that point I didn't even know if I liked her. I certainly wasn't sure if she liked me. She pulled me in the corner. She put a piece of paper in my hand, and she said, "It's an address. 
It's very near here. You can go after work. I'll meet you there. I won't take no for an answer. It's the actor's studio. Do you know of it? And I well, sort of did, but said, yes, I do. She said, be there. And I said, I will. And um, I, I showed up and she was there. And it was, a big, it was the beginning of a very big change. And it was um, the beginning of a very important relationship in my life. Not only did Madeline stay in my life, but Lee Strasberg came into my life. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it was when you really moved on to the next, the next step, yes. the next stages. Um, so the thing I find fascinating as well about the, the Flying Nun, there's just one image I want to dwell on when you're uh, the Golden Globes. Yes. Which is hilarious, but also uh-huh. extraordinary. I like, know. it really points to a different way of seeing people. You are this, you are an object being strung up on this yeah. chain and hoisted thre- up. Yeah. Barely, barely, how do you do? It's just, yeah, by connect a guy me to the wires. And the guy, as I'm going up, saying, not to worry, he's flown Mary Martin hundreds <laughs> of times. Well, I, now I'm not worried. You know, that ought to do it. Yeah. And, and then I was sailing off. Um, and uh, across the coconut grove. Now, mind you, I wanted to say no to this so badly, but I was at a point in my life where I couldn't say no. Mm. It, it just wasn't something I could because say. Because you might never work again. I might never work yeah. again. That was that fear that had been injected but into all me. All creative I'm, people know by, about that but feeling. But my stepfather had said that to me. Those exact the, words. Very words to me, and that's why I had done the Flying Nun in the first place, mm. and that fear that lodged there and... So he couldn't say no. I could. I went no. I won't wear the habit. So now it made totally no sense. They had the uh, okay. I was flying across the coconut grove in a pink taffeta culotte outfit that my mother had made two days before, with my hair in ringlets. I looked like crazy baby Jane, and that was the first time I looked at the stage. I'm flying over the whole industry. That all I wanted was to be part of them, yeah. um, and. It, there, standing on the stage, bracing himself, you know, get, setting himself up to, to catch this wad of pink taffeta coming his way, was John Wayne. Of course it was John Wayne. And of I had never, of course I had met him, and, it was, I'm, and in my mind I'm going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it's John Wayne. And so as I'm getting closer and I look at his face, I begin to nod my head as if we're entering the elevator together. And I'm saying, hello, Mr. Wayne, hello, Mr. Wayne. No, it's just, and then as he caught me and then you know held this little pink fluff in, in his arms as as I announced the lucky winner of the newcomer that that year which was Dustin Hoffman for the graduate yay Dustin brilliant job <laughs> whatever happened to him um so uh, and I guess yeah the, the other thing is that that um I find so sort of fascinating about the way that your career spans those things and you talk about those moments where you are this little girl who's this object and now look where we are. Look at the Me Too movement. Look at mm. all these things. The, the, the way this book resonates, you couldn't have chosen a more zeitgeisty time for a book like this to, mm. to come out, right? Do, do you find yourself now, do you put an arm around younger people in the industry when you're acting with them, when you're working with them? Have you had those moments where you've helped people offset, where you've been there for other people? I... I have never seen an, a young person uh, has never revealed to me that any of that kind of thing was going on. Mm. Certainly, I would. Um, certainly, they would have someone to really deal with in me yeah. if I found out that that was happening. Um, but I try to paint a picture of what it was like, what all of society was like in, in the 70s when it was standard behavior. I, I didn't I didn't see anything 
that I had a choice or that anything was any different. And as a matter of fact, I don't know that I even, because it fit into my whole childhood paradigm, it fit into some patterns I already knew and understood. It didn't even feel unusual. Yeah. It felt like, oh yeah, I know this. I've done this. Yeah. This is, I get I've this. Got my mechanisms to yeah. deal with this. I, I know how yeah. to do this. This yeah. I can do. Um, and I um, certainly applaud and I'm grateful to the women who are standing up now and, and being outraged. Uh, and, uh, and maybe on the other side of it is a way, outside of the outrage, is a way that um, that will last, that society can hear it, and we will start to um, parent our children differently to mm. to not behave like that. I think so. I hope so. I hope so too. Um, have you, uh, there's a sense of you being surprised at your own success, certainly early on in the book, and is it, you always seem slightly, okay, here we are. Have, has this book helped you come to terms with the fact that people love you and that you're brilliant? Do, do, I mean, that, <laughs> it's true. Do, do, you, do you accept that? Um, well, not quite like that. Um, <laughs> um, but I think ultimately, and it was my son, Sam, who helped me at the very end. Um, cause I had just finished, a, a doing a, a, a show on Broadway or beginning of last year. And, uh, he was finishing his, um, master's program at Columbia. So he had an apartment in, in Brooklyn. And after the Sunday matinee, Every every Sunday, I would go to his house and sit on the floor because he had a new rescue dog that I completely loved, and um, I would. He was the only one I I indulged in. I I used him uh, to read pieces at the end because I I didn't know what I'd done. I kept saying, Sam, well, okay, is this the end of this thing? But what on earth have I done it for? What have I learned? What what possible good is this? It's I'm, I'm looking for something and what. What have I found? And it was Sam that said, Mom, stop for one second. Stop for one second. Don't you see how differently you see yourself now, seven years from when you first started, than where you were? And I went, oh, oh. And he was right. And it wasn't quite what you said, but it was close in that I was able for the first time to hold um, all that I had accomplished and that I had accomplished it on my own two feet. Before that, I've always felt anything I accomplished, you know, would drizzle out of my cup as if I had a crack in it. And now... It isn't just you know achievements in the in the business, um, in in the in the motion picture business, but my my life as a as a daughter and a mother and a, an actor, um, it it was able to, I was able to see it more clearly and to um, hold it differently. You can now hold it in physical form. Yeah. In the form of this book. Literally, That's it. Literally, it's great. I hold it. And yeah. there it is right there. And I'm going to hold it. it. It literally exists as a book now. Um, Sally Field in Pieces is a fantastic read. It's a brilliant memoir. Uh, listen, I, I, that's it. We're done. Thank you so much. Uh, the wonderful Sally Field uh, in Pieces is out now. There you go. That is the wonderful Sally Field. What a wonderful lady. In Pieces is out now. Thank you very much for downloading the Magic Book Club podcast. We will be back soon with an episode four, fingers crossed. Uh, in the meantime, have a great day. Bye now. Bye now.